0: oh yeah let's talk about making love
1: no not that kind
0: of making love did you know that the average person only spends half a percent of their life having sex here at making love today we learn from couples about what they do with the other 99.5 percent of their time to create meaningful deeply fulfilling and long-lasting relationships so listen up as we hear what our guest couples do outside the bedroom to make their love work and now here's your host patrick perkins
1: All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Making Love Today, and today we're going to be talking about Josh and Whitney. I'm your host, Patrick Perkins, and I'm here again with my co-host, Anne Brown, our in-house marriage therapist here at Rekindle. Josh and Whitney have a unique situation, which is becoming more common, but still is not the norm. Josh is a stay-at-home dad, and Whitney is a f- attorney. They talk to us quite a bit about reverse gender roles. And I'm excited to hear what you have to say about Joshua Whitney.
0: Josh and Whitney were really fun to listen to. Both of them were put into a situation where instead of just doing better of being the self that you thought you were, they both have had to become something they didn't really think they wanted to become necessarily. They've done a wonderful job of embracing that transition to something more and bigger and better. And the skill for that is called self-transcendence. To transcend just means to go beyond what you are. David Snarsh talks about this. He says, life crises like falling in love, which isn't something everybody thinks of as a crisis, and undergoing conversion, which is also something not everybody thinks of as a crisis, but this is how he puts it. Life crises like falling in love, undergoing conversion, or suffering bereavement present the painful and bewildering demand that the you whose desire brought this about must die. It's about confronting the limits of what you can attain as the person you are currently. To fulfill your desires, you have to change in ways that make that fulfillment possible. That means the smaller you dies as a fuller you, a more unique you, is born. We desire ourselves to death in the most positive sense the things that we want, closeness and growth and connection to something bigger than ourselves, all of those kinds of things require us to become more than we are. And there's this sense of leaving the you you thought you were behind in order to become something different. But it's a fuller difference. It's a better, bigger, stronger, different.
1: Clearly, death and crisis aren't terms that we usually think of in connection with relationships and marriage, at least in a positive way. What the point of the quote is really trying to get at is that when in life we undergo some sort of big change, when there's some big transitionary point in our life, at that point, we can't expect to just continue on as the same person that we previously were, but we have to make real changes in order to make our new situation really full and really work. One way of thinking about it is the bachelor life as opposed to the married life. People talk about how when you're a bachelor, you can live such a carefree life and you have so much freedom. And when you get married or get in a serious relationship, it's not that necessarily you can't have fun or you can't have freedom anymore. But if you try to live and you try to operate your life in the exact same way that you did when you were a bachelor, things wouldn't work out very well.
0: Yeah. There's a transformation that happens. And David starts talking about it as transcendence, something higher. And as I listened to Josh and Whitney talk about their experiences, it was interesting because Josh's sense of self seemed to be, I'm a college student and I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a partner for Whitney. And he was really comfortable doing that and being that. Those are the things that he thought of as his identity. And then Whitney's sense of self, I'm a student, I'm becoming an attorney I'm a partner for Josh. And then she'd also thought of herself as not a mom. That wasn't part of who she saw herself becoming. They got some bad advice about birth control and Whitney becomes pregnant. Now they have lots of choices at this point, but they both are choosing, okay, well, if this is happening, then we're going to have a baby. But then they could have each been clinging to their old self and still thought of themselves as entrepreneur or a student or an attorney. Whitney could have decided she was going to be the least amount of mom possible or put the kid up for adoption. There's so many opportunities to just say, no, this is who I am and this is who I want to be and I'm going to stick with it. And I am going to keep getting better and better at that. And there wouldn't have been the end of the world if she had chosen that or if Josh had chosen that either. And he talks about in detail his transition of feeling from, oh, I'm kind of making this choice by default. And now I'm a little bit ashamed of it. And now I'm ashamed that I was ashamed. We can listen to him talk about that.
1: Now that I talk about how ashamed I was of that, now I'm ashamed that I was ashamed. Because now I realize the more I've spent with my kids at home and learning to like run a household and just stay on top of things, it's been the hardest, most rewarding thing I
0: think anyone can do.
1: So another thing that comes to mind when you talk about this transition is the example in nature of the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. If the caterpillar, after it becomes a butterfly, if it kept trying to operate like a caterpillar and do all the things that a caterpillar does, it would not be reaching its full potential as a butterfly. Whereas also if a caterpillar was trying to be a butterfly, it could be in for some literal crash landings. When we go through these transitions in life, the point is not to try and hang on to what we used to be and cling on to what we were before, but to try and embrace what we currently are and be the best version of that that we can possibly be.
0: Well, and the willingness to become, another part of this quote from David Snarsh says, many people who seek self-transcendence don't want to give anything up. They want the path safe and clearly mapped. However, our unwillingness to give up what no longer fits blocks us from self-transcendence. Not being able to dissolve your old self enough to be a little bit flexible. It's the same entity, the caterpillar and the butterfly, but it looks very different and it acts very different. So not letting go becomes this really big obstacle. But it's like Josh was saying, it's the hardest, most rewarding thing I think anyone can do the transition isn't easy. It's not clearly mapped. He has to figure out, well, what does this look like for me and how do I need to be successful? And he talks about that. I need to work out because my physical self is very engaged in parenting. He's thought about it. I need to have my method of keeping the house clean and I need to learn to do that better. And it's very purposeful. That really helps. But as circumstances change, then you have to adjust and figure it out. Being really engaged with the process of becoming instead of just saying, okay, well, I've arrived, because most of the time when we think to ourselves, I've arrived, I am a butterfly, but I'm not a very good butterfly, and if we don't think of ourselves as a person in process, then it's really easy to conclude that we're just not a very good person. And life just ups the ante constantly. (laughs) There's always something new. So
1: not to confuse the analogies too much here. Yeah, sure, you're not the best version of yourself yet. You might not be a very good butterfly. I think a good analogy for that might be if you're a brand new bird who's being pushed out of the nest for the first time to learn how to fly and beating yourself up about the fact that you're not soaring high above the trees the first time that you flop down on the ground.
0: Absolutely. And we need to just recognize that, yes, I am transcending, becoming more than I was or different than I thought I would be. And it's going to take time for me to adjust and get good at this. Whitney has a really good point when she says... The thing about Josh is he's just supremely confident because I think what drives a lot of the gender roles is pride or maybe an insecurity to some extent. But Josh was just great. He thought it was great. She's saying that to pay Josh a compliment, but I think she's actually a really good example of somebody who doesn't stick with her pride and her insecurity. And you can see that when she was talking about getting pregnant She said she was in denial and she was basically terrified. And then she says, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And my thought was, good for you doing something that you think is right. They obviously wanted to choose this and being terrified and being in denial about it and then going through it anyway. And I think that courage to keep moving forward in the direction that you want to go but aren't comfortable going is a really great example of how to get this done. because. If you hold on to your pride of, I'm right, this is the way it should be, it just creates a huge amount of resentment, and you work against yourself in a lot of ways. And then insecurities do the exact same thing, but on the other end of, I can't do this, there's no way I can succeed, or I need you to make me do it or make up for what I lack. She just moved forward. And they work together, but when you're pregnant, you know that you're the one who has to get it done. And then she's transitioned as well, beautifully to being a breadwinner for a family instead of just a student and an attorney and a partner and watching that process of being the support that allows Josh to do what he does. And she's taking pride in it and she's doing a good job and all of those sorts of things. That wasn't a role that she saw herself in necessarily, but she's embraced it and she's become this butterfly. She's doing it. And so both of them are good examples of embracing a new concept of self and then moving forward bravely, letting go of that old idea of how things should be or you wanted them to be (laughs) and making a new self and a new life with that.
1: A lot of this comes down also to the concept of living in the present. We can all think of examples of somebody who is stuck in the past. You have the stereotype of the prom queen or the captain of the football team in high school who never really gets over that and then is in their middle age and still talking about how cool they were back in high school. And it sounds like the real point here is that we need to move past high school, move past college, move past whatever it is that we were currently in. Not to forget it completely, but just to understand that's not where we are in life right now. And embrace where we currently are and become the best version of what we are and where we are right now. And not only to accept that fact, but also to embrace it and realize that we're not just moving to something different. In theory, we're actually moving to something better.
0: Yeah, and that's gonna take some work. And sometimes it is sort of a wonderful, feels like a good butterfly moment where you're like, oh, wow, I get to be a parent. That's exciting. And I'm gonna really be able to do a good job doing this. But for other circumstances, at one point I was teaching a class for step families and there was a mom with kids and a dad with kids and they had married each other and then they were trying to blend their family together. And one of the teenagers was being really rebellious and really angry about a lot of things. And I was the one working with the teenager and I was trying to help him understand that you're going to have in-laws, you just have them early. People who you love, who love people, who you have to deal with helping him see himself as a little bit more grown up because he gets to figure this out and all that stuff. But then I was talking to his stepdad and the dad kept going back to, but he should do this. He should treat me really well. He should respect his elders. He should never sneak out at night. I heard it so many times and I finally just had to look at him and say, you don't live in the land of should. You live with the family you live with. And as long as you hold on to that idea of what should be happening, you're not going to be able to deal with what is happening. And this is somebody, your stepson, that you're going to have to figure out what to do with what's going on and not worry so much about all of the things that you're perceiving that you think are mistakes or that are problems or that are bad. This is who he is. This is what he's doing. Deal with it. That's kind of the other side of this is that you don't live in the land of should, And yeah, your partners should do things differently. We all should, right? (laughs) And the government should do these things and the school system should do these things and the healthcare system should do these things. And all of these things are true. And none of it matters if the reality is different than what it is. And so sometimes we just have to take a deep breath and become more than we are because our circumstances demand it, not just because we want to be more than we are. You can't set up camp in the land of should. You really have to deal with what is.
1: The best way to sum that up is we can spend time trying to look at how we want things to be. And we can spend time being depressed by the so-called ideals that we all have. Everybody has something that they wish that they were that's a bit different than what they currently are living in. But we can either spend our time and energy being sad and depressed and a bit upset that we're not perfect or that our situations aren't perfect or instead, we could use that energy to embrace where we currently are and become the best version of what our situation is at the moment. It's certainly a difficult thing to do, but it sounds like that Josh and Whitney are certainly doing a great job of that. What else do you see from Josh and Whitney that really stood out to you?
0: Josh said something that really caught my attention. It harks back to a bit of what they were dealing with when it comes to these expectations from the outside, that they feel these cultural pressures to be something in particular or to do something in particular. And Josh said, we've had some pretty hard conversations where we've had to really discuss these things openly about
1: traditional roles and really hit it head on and not just bury it and avoid obvious conversations that should be happening. We've had to have those conversations early on and continually have them and recognize the elephant in the room, so to speak, instead of just try ignoring it. And I think it's been a very positive thing for our relationship. So
0: when I hear Josh talking in those terms about having hard conversations and hitting things head on and not ignoring the elephant in the room, that feels like communication. But what I see them doing, which is really really great, isn't just communicating, it's engaging with their own emotions. So emotional expression and engagement is one of the most important elements that has to do with us as individuals. And you can see it in the example of Whitney talking about household responsibilities. She said she had a lingering sense that it was her job to do all of these things. And it could have been a constant source of stress and frustration. And they could have had that conversation over and over again about who deserves a break or whose job it is to clean and all of those things. But they didn't just engage around the emotions. They looked at where those emotions were coming from. And so Whitney and Josh were able to engage with the expectations that they felt from outside that were bringing up those emotions of frustration or of, oh, no, I have to do this. And they do a really good job of not just having emotions, that's important, but also really engaging with their emotions and expressing them. Sue Johnson says it way better than I could. (laughs) One of the things she says is turn your emotions into clear, specific signals, Messages that are not conflicted or garbled. Explicitly state your needs. To do this, you have to recognize and accept your attachment needs. So she's talking about attachment needs, which are things that are underneath and generating these emotions. Hear and accept the needs of the other. They're really good at that too. Respond to these needs. And that's sort of the key. So in that thing they talked about where Whitney was thinking, oh, I'm so stressed. It's Saturday and I have all these things to do, but I've had a really hard week. Josh went underneath that expression to what does she really need right now in this moment? And what she needed was rest. She needed to have less stress. And so he was able to see beneath the emotion. He could have just seen her being stressed and engaged about that, but he went underneath that to, okay, what does she really actually need? Respond to these needs with empathy and honesty. That's going to make those conversations go so much better. And she says, explore and take into account the partner's reality and make sense of it rather than dismiss his or her response. So he could have just been like, Whitney, you don't need to be so stressed. Calm down, which, although lovely, is not particularly helpful. So he did exactly what Sue Johnson's talking about and in taking into account her reality of, oh, she's had a really hard week. It's been stressful. I get it, it makes sense. So he doesn't just need to dismiss her emotion. And she was probably overreacting, is might be what she would say, that her stress response was a lot larger than the specific tasks called for.
1: So what I'm hearing here is that when it comes to emotions, both our own and our partners, it's not enough just to have emotions and to recognize that emotions are currently present. It's best to go beyond that and actually look at what emotions are there and try to determine why are those emotions there? Where are those emotions coming from? And kind of treat those emotions as traffic signals as how to proceed from there.
0: Yes, and that ability, because that's on our first impulse a lot of times. Our first impulse is to think of the emotion as it feels like the emotion is attacking us because it just feels burdensome or intense or whatever. So we either hide from it or we hit back. And if we see our partner having an emotion as an attack on ourselves, it's going to be a very difficult relationship (laughs) because you're always going to be combating or hiding rather than seeing it as, oh, it's their reality. They're having their emotion. It has nothing to do with me necessarily. Even if they're telling us, you are such a slob, I can't even believe that this, and Winnie didn't say that, but it's still possible in that circumstance to take a second. You might need a break and hold on and go off by yourself and think about it for a minute, but to say, okay, is this really about me being a slob or is this really actually about something else going on? If your partner's calling you names all the time, that's a completely different issue that needs to be dealt with. But if they're having a moment where they're over-responding to something or they're having a big emotion that you don't understand, it is worth your while to take a minute and look underneath that. Where is this coming from? What is their reality like right now? And if you don't know, then ask it's a great time to help them by saying what is going on for you right now how's this going or take a break first if you need to and have everybody calm down and think about that but that opening up and really engaging with something and tackling the elephants in the room doesn't happen unless you're in a mindset to be able to actually engage with your own emotions and the other person's and have the expression feel like signals instead of feeling like a battle
1: When I hear this, I think a lot about parenting, not that treating your spouse like a child is the correct way to go. But so many times, children have such big emotions that they don't know how to control. And how do we respond to those emotions so much of the time is saying, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. It wasn't that big of a deal, or that's not how you react to something. Whereas in their little undeveloped bodies, those emotions are very real and very genuine. And whether or not we agree with why they're having those emotions, those emotions are still real. And addressing why that emotion exists a lot of the time is more important than just telling them that they need to suppress that emotion. And I think as we get to adults, a lot of us have really just become used to suppressing emotions as if they're just a nuance that get in the way of life or that there's something that aren't helpful in our day-to-day interactions, but we need to rise above our emotions But it really sounds like the best way to go isn't to ignore those emotions and to say that those emotions are wrong, but to use those emotions to tune into what our real needs are and why exactly are we feeling those emotions, why exactly is our partner feeling those emotions, whether or not we personally agree that that's a good reason to feel that.
0: Yes. It doesn't have to make sense to you. It just has to make sense to them.
1: Or does Um, it even have to make sense to them? It
0: doesn't usually. But here's the thing. When you engage with it over time, it eventually does make sense. So when we really engage with our emotions, we figure out, oh, have you ever been talking to somebody about something that didn't feel very deep or personal and find yourself crying? Maybe not. I do that. (laughs) Have you found yourself randomly having an experience and then all of a sudden you're realizing I'm angry right now. Why am I angry? Those are signals. And a lot of times we start out not really understanding why am I crying right now? Or why am I angry right now? Or why do I want to run away? This isn't threatening. Asking those questions is actually a really good idea. Not to beat yourself up. I can't believe that I'm crying. But To actually say, well, wait, pause. Why am I, what is, what nerve, what thing, what soft spot? Why is this so touching for me? Or why is this so frustrating for me? Or whatever that is. Those are great questions. If you watch Inside Out, the movie from Pixar, the key thing that happens is that joy figures out why sadness is even there. And it's sadness that allows people to connect to each other. So when somebody's sad, that brings out this sense of empathy and wanting to be there for somebody. And they have these experiences where somebody's crying. They, through sadness, open themselves up for connection to somebody else. Sue Johnson talks about it as tuning into the bonding channel. What she's really talking about is that when we can do that, when we can engage with our emotion enough to open up to it a little bit, try to understand it whether it's our partner's emotion or our emotion that seeking for understanding and like Josh says tackling the elephant in the room or whatever it is that being open to the emotion and engaging with it and sticking with it for a while and letting it play out and letting it tell us something letting it send whatever message it's sending this is how Sue talks about that partners have to tune into the bonding channel and stay there they find this process risky But if they follow it through, their relationship becomes flooded with positive emotion and ascends to a whole new level. This process is not only a corrective move that kickstarts trust, but also for many a transforming and liberating emotional experience. What happens when we do this, when we engage with our emotions, is it opens us up And you think, how can sadness open us up to big positive emotions or how can anger open us up to big positive emotions? But it can if you are able to engage with it in this really positive way and stick with it and listen to the message that it's sending and use it to create these bonding experiences where then eventually you get to the point where I'm with you, I get it. And if you can move through what in the world (laughs) to I'm with you on this, I get it then you feel a lot closer. That closeness is what we were just talking about, transcending yourself and becoming more you than you thought you could be. This is how relationships do this. This is how relationships transcend themselves and transform themselves, is through this emotional engagement and the bonding that happens, the positive emotions that happen because of it. It's incredibly important to understand And also to know that nobody's really good at this and we all make mistakes while we're doing it.
1: It sounds like this whole concept of really tuning into your emotions and really understanding them and also being able to understand your partner's emotions. I mean, it all makes a lot of sense and it all sounds great. It sounds like once we understand our own emotions, we're better able to understand our partner's emotions, whatever they might be. And by doing so, we can tune in more to our partner and we can become closer like that. Theoretically, that sounds great, and it makes a lot of sense. However, so many of us are trained from childhood to kind of shun our emotions, to shut them off. Are there any practical things that you can share with us to help us to kind of reprogram our mind, to really tune into our emotions, and to really be able to demonstrate this skill that you're talking about here?
0: Absolutely. In fact, Josh and Whitney gave us some good examples of specific techniques to use to be able to do this more easily. So one of the first things that I noticed them doing that makes so much sense is something that I have a friend who's also a therapist and she says, throw away your stupid rules. We're all given these rules from our family or from our culture or from, I don't know, ourselves that we made them up as a child and then we stuck to them and they don't make sense anymore and they don't work for us. I have another friend who's like, anger is the only emotion allowed in our house. We don't have sadness in our house. There just isn't any sadness. That's a stupid rule. That's a really stupid rule. If anger is the only way you can express things, that's not going to work. So she has to throw that rule out. And Josh and Whitney are doing a good job of thinking about the expectations and the rules that they've been given, keeping what works, amending things as needed, but also throwing them out and saying, okay, well, that rule doesn't work for us, so we're, we're going to do it a different way. So throwing those things away is just fine. Another thing that Josh and Whitney show really well is this focusing on the strengths of their partner. For example, Josh is really fun, and Whitney values the fun that he and the kids have, even if they're having it without her, and she's proud of how she participates in that, even though she doesn't get to go have the fun every single time. And so valuing that as a strength and not resenting it is something that Whitney contributes to the partnership in a really tangible way, because he wouldn't be able to enjoy the kids and their experiences together nearly as much if he had kept having to think, oh, is she going to be mad that we did this? Or is she going to be mad that we're laughing this much? And so Whitney embracing that about him and really wanting him to experience being as fun as he is, really helps. And then the same thing, Whitney's very educated. She's a strong person. And Josh could feel really intimidated by that. Or he could feel like it's so frustrating. She always has to be this way or do that. Or she's always using big words or whatever it is. He's decided not to be intimidated or frustrated. He's really proud of her. Rather than trying to compete with her, he's just really delighted that that's who she is. And he values that about her. And so embracing your partner's strengths is one of the things that helps them to apply those strengths to whatever's going on. And so if Whitney was resenting Josh's funness, then she could get frustrated every time they're having that elephant in the room moment and he tries to make a joke. She could just get so angry about that. But she doesn't. She likes the fact that he's fun and that helps because... Making jokes sometimes diffuses some of the tension or helps people relax a little and get back to what's most important. You can use those strengths of your partner against yourself when you're trying to do this, or you can allow them to come into the experience and have them enhance what's going on and make it easier.
1: The two suggestions that Josh and Whitney showed is first to throw away the stupid rules and recognize that those rules were there in the first place. Understand where they came from, understand that they don't necessarily apply in your life, and move on from that. You need to Marie Kondo your life a little bit, your own relationship a little bit, and get rid of those things that you carry with you that might not necessarily be beneficial in your current relationship. And after you get rid of those stupid rules, those old expectations, then the next thing that you need to do is go ahead and embrace the strengths of your partner and understand what your partner really brings to the table so that you're then able to appreciate them even when they're having very emotional times.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that takes a little bit of self-awareness. Josh needs to be aware that sometimes his fun gets out of hand and it is annoying. He needs to figure that out for himself and be aware. And Whitney needs to be aware if she's starting to resent that. That, no, no, that's a strength, not, that's not a bad thing for people to have fun. I just am dealing with my own stuff around that, right? Like, I, I might have some sore spots or some things that I need to handle. So both of them need to be aware and adjust and, and make sure that it's working. And it's the same thing with Whitney being a very educated and strong personality That doesn't mean that Josh needs to back off and never make a decision or never have an opinion. He can embrace that about her without going too far. They seem to have worked that out, but in doing it, we need to be aware that there's balance and there's flexibility and all of those things.
1: Absolutely. And just kind of another example of their situation is with the reverse gender roles. If both of them were still really trying to cling to those traditional gender norms that they both grew up with, that Josh might have in his head the idea that he still needs to be the one that earns money for his family. And so he might still be the one really trying to work hard on his side business and really trying to build that up to prove his value as a husband, as the man of the household. Whereas in this situation, he's kind of moved past that and understood that his role in this situation is very different from that traditional rule that they had to move past and discuss it. And then on Whitney's end of things, like they were talking about, she might really cling to this notion that, oh, I'm the mother and I'm the wife, which in traditional rules might mean that she is the nurturer or that she is the one to do things such as cook the meals and she is the one that has to clean the house. And therefore she could definitely be really hard on herself And really resentful a bit of Josh doing those things because she's still thinking, oh, I'm the wife, I'm the mother, I should be doing things. But instead, they were both able to recognize that those traditional rules don't apply in their situation, and then able to embrace their own rules in large part by recognizing the strength of the other one. They recognize Whitney's strength as the breadwinner of the family. They recognize Josh's strength as the housekeeper and as the nurturer. They're able to set aside those old norms, focus on the strengths that they have in their own personal relationship and make something that really works for them.
0: In addition to that, they do really well not seeing their partner through the eyes of the culture. And so not seeing themselves, definitely, but also not seeing their partner. And so it would really disrupt things if either Whitney or Josh decided you're not good enough because you don't fit X, Y, and Z. And they can actually see the strengths of their partner, not through the eyes of the culture, but through their own experiences and their own perceptions. See what's really good and what's wonderful that's happening, even though it doesn't fit what those expectations might be. Sometimes it's really hard for us because there's not an obvious cultural expectation going on, but we're still seeing ourselves or our partner through the eyes of some other expectation, either from our family. There's a lot of things I grew up with this and a man does this or a woman does this, but also just a partner who's loving would absolutely. So one lady tells the story of when she got sick in her family the partner the spouse would always bring you juice and tuck you in and make sure you're okay and check up on you and really be around and engaged with the sickness right <laughs> the, the experience of being sick and so she got sick and her new partner was not doing any of those things and she was really sad and frustrated and feeling very unloved and it took her a few hours <laughs> she's sick it's okay to figure out oh I'm seeing his behavior through the eyes of my family expectations. That's not fair. In his family, as they talked about it, people get left alone because they want to rest. (laughs) And that was the important thing to do. So it's very important to be aware of our own stupid rules or expectations. They might not even be stupid. They might just be different. They can come from... All kinds of places. So, we need to not just look to stereotypes or norms from the culture, it can be from our families. We can't really see the world from a perspective other than our own every moment of every day. It's our own culture, our own filters that things are coming through. For example, something that's really easy and simple for me may not be easy and simple for my partner. And yet, to me, it's completely obvious. This is where we get into how to do Christmas, like Valentine's or birthdays, or how to express affection. We're sitting on the couch and we're watching TV, and it completely obvious to me is that this is an opportunity for snuggling. And I like snuggling, I'm drawn to snuggling. This is really exciting for me because that's what I want to do. My partner may not be a snuggly sort of person necessarily, and it might not be obvious, and it might not be simple, and it might not be easy. They might be. This is an opportunity for movie watching. This is an intellectual opportunity for us to have an experience with a story and then be able to talk about it with each other. And that's what's obvious and easy and simple to them. And so you have two different people filtering the experience through their own expectations and not really understanding why the other person isn't doing what they wanted them to do.
1: And hence, it brings up some emotions for both partners and both partner might be completely confused as to why you're feeling this emotion about not snuggling with them during the movie.
0: Right, exactly, and if we're engaging with that emotion enough to ask it questions and really get the message of that emotion, that's a great example because when you go underneath that, if it is me and my partner and one person's looking for an intellectual connection and one person's looking for more of a physical experience, Then I'm sitting there thinking, you don't love me. You don't want to be close to me. And those are hurtful and sad emotions coming up. So I feel hurt. I feel sad. If I can engage with that hurt and that sadness and maybe even talk about it a little bit, maybe we can get to the point where I can ask my hurt and my sadness all right, what does this mean? Why is it hurtful? Why is it sad? It's hurtful and sad because I do want to connect it's hurtful and sad because I like you and I want to be close to you. If you can get past hurtful and sad to I like you and I want to be close to you, then you've engaged with the emotion enough to make it a powerful, positive bonding thing, just like Sue Johnson says. And if the other person can say, I'm frustrated. I'm angry because I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to watch the movie and have this experience with you where we think together and we talk about stories and issues and ideas. And that's exciting for me. And you're not paying attention. And I'm frustrated because you're refusing to do the bonding thing. (laughs) You're refusing to do the thing that I want to do to connect with you. They can engage with that frustration and say, okay, well, Why am I frustrated? Where's the frustration coming from? And I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to talk about it and figure out, oh, I'm frustrated because I like you. I want to be close to you. And the way to do that is being blocked and that's frustrating. And so again, the other person has the exact same purpose. If we can get through the frustration, we get to the positive, powerful emotions that help the bonding happen that helped the relationship transcend itself, right? And so the presence of hurt or the presence of frustration isn't necessarily a bad thing. If we can engage with them long enough and deep enough and figure out the message within them, get underneath and figure out, well, why am I feeling this way? And if we can get to that, I like you, I want to be close to you, then it can be powerfully bonding. If we stick with it up on the surface level and say, well, because you don't care about me or you never want to do things with me. And we, instead of saying, why is my frustration happening? Oh, it's something within me to why is my frustration happening it's because you aren't paying attention and you don't care enough to be able to do this with me as soon as we start pinning it on our partner and going back and forth that way then it blows up and it turns into a really negative not bonding experience where distance is created engaging with the emotion and listening to the internal message that it's sending us is the key to not having it blow up and instead digging down and getting to whatever the underlying, oh, that needs to come into the conversation.
1: What we really need to do is when there are emotions that arise in our relationship, and don't necessarily have to be negative emotions, when there are strong emotions there, we should take a moment and try to think about what signals are these emotions sending me? And where do these emotions come from? And if we can actually use that and determine where the emotion is coming from, rather than just either one, ignoring the emotion, or two, putting the blame on your partner for you having that emotion, if it's a negative emotion, then you can really start to engage with those emotions and have really great bonding and relationship growth from it. Today, our two strengths that we're really talking about, just to recap for Josh and Whitney, are first off, you need to have self-transcendence, becoming something greater than what you were before in order to make the relationship work. And second off, you need to really tune into your emotions and the emotions of your partner and not just understand that those emotions exist, but to really delve deep into where those emotions come from and what signals they're sending. And once you do that, you're able to actually use those emotions as a connection tool rather than just a way to drive a wedge between the two of you. That brings us then to our relationship challenge for the week. Our relationship challenge for this week is going to be based around the second strength, which we talked about, of emotional engagement. This is certainly a difficult skill for a lot of people to gain, but it is definitely doable, just as Anne was saying. So our challenge for this week is to keep an emotion journal. What that means is not necessarily writing, Dear Diary, today I was sad. But instead, just really try and pay attention to emotions that you feel, both positive and negative emotions. And when you feel those emotions or shortly thereafter, just take a moment to sit down and write down somewhere what emotion you felt and why you think that you felt that. What were the signals that those emotions were telling you? If we all do that for one week, I think that we will greatly improve our ability to be able to engage with those emotions. After you've done that, go ahead to our website at makinglovetoday.com and just leave us a note letting us know how the challenge went for you. Were there any surprises that you learned from it? What were some of the signals that you noticed that your emotions were telling you? So thanks again, everybody, for being with us today. And until next time, be like Josh and Whitney and go out and make love in your life.